This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and Jay Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them. One from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. And I write two blogs, Law Sites and Media Law. Uh, recently, a federal jury in New Orleans ruled in favor of Merkin Company in a lawsuit over the uh, uh, drug Vioxx, finding there was not enough evidence to link the drug to a Kentucky man's heart attack. Well, Robert Gary Smith claimed that he had taken Vioxx for four and a half months for knee pain, and that's ultimately what caused his heart attack. The attorneys for Merck, who've been battling lawsuits, argued that Vioxx was not to blame for Mr. Smith's heart attack. Smith's risk factors, such as high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and engaging in strenuous activity were argued successfully to be the cause of the attack. Well, as a consequence of that, now Merck has a 5-4 and four record in state and federal courts in Vioxx-related cases. A sixth case, Merck 1, was overturned by a judge and is set to be retried. Over 14,000 cases are pending nationwide, according to a Merck spokesman, and most recently has gone up significantly to 23,800 because of the deadline to file cases. And just this week, a plaintiff in Texas dropped her lawsuit against Merck two weeks before her trial was to begin. Today we're going to speak with a key attorney on the team representing Merck in the Vioxx cases. On on past coast-to-coast programs, we've had lead attorneys for the plaintiffs uh, as guests, but unfortunately, uh, because of scheduling conflicts, we've not been able to have attorneys for Merck on the program. So today we're giving Merck equal time. Well, joining us today is attorney Philip Beck, partner in the law firm of Bartlett, Beck, Herman, Palanchar, and Scott in Chicago. Mr. Beck was on George W. Bush's trial team in the 2000 election trial, special counsel for the U.S. Justice Department in the Microsoft antitrust case, and had a well-known victory in the case in which Bayer Corporation was cleared of any liability in connection with a Texas plaintiff's use of Bayer's cholesterol drug, Baycol. Now Merck is his client. Welcome, Phil. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. Uh, Mr. Beck, uh, we have, uh, we've had a, a Texas plaintiff drop her case this week that was due to go to trial early in November. Uh, you had a recent victory in New Orleans, as we mentioned. Uh, where do we stand right now, and, and what are the significance of these two latest developments? Well, the, uh, uh, the victory in New Orleans uh, was uh, uh, another one where we presented facts to the jury not only on causation, as uh, one of you mentioned in the introduction, but also uh, defending the conduct of the company and saying that we had acted appropriately uh, throughout the development and uh, and marketing of Vioxx all the way up until the voluntary withdrawal. And that was another uh, jury verdict uh, in our favor. As you said, they've been uh, split on that in the different jurisdictions. Uh, in terms of the dropping of the case, that's an interesting phenomenon that hasn't gotten as much attention uh, throughout the country, both in uh, in federal court and to a greater extent in state courts in Texas and New Jersey and California. 
what the plaintiff's lawyers have done is they've brought cases up to trial, and then on the eve of trial, they have dropped those. And uh, when you start taking those into consideration, uh, the dropped cases, uh, the uh, results have been even more favorable for us. How do those results measure when you add in the factor of the dropped cases? You know, I don't have an exact number of the dropped cases, but but my uh, my overall sense is that um, we've had, you know, whatever it is, 11 or 12 cases go to trial, and at least that many cases have been scheduled for trial, and then uh, whether on the eve of trial, as happened down in Texas recently, or a month or so beforehand, the plaintiff's lawyers declare that they don't want to try that case. And I, so I think there's been at least as many cases that have been dropped after they've gone through the pretrial discovery process and been scheduled for trial as there have been uh, cases that have actually gone to trial. Is prior medical history playing a, a factor in the dropping of those cases? And, and then a second follow-up is how did that prior medical history play with the juries? Well, it's, the, of course, the plaintiff's lawyer's decision to drop the cases, so they would have to uh, explain their reasoning. Um, I think that uh, uh, sometimes it's prior medical history. Uh, sometimes it's plaintiff's lawyers uh, finding out once they do their homework that somebody that they signed up as a client, uh, in fact, uh, did not take Vioxx or, or took Vioxx for a very short period of time. Uh, other times... Uh, uh, we've had cases in uh, in federal court where uh, plaintiffs' lawyers have promised that they were going to uh, dismiss in uh, in other jurisdictions and refile in New in New, in Louisiana so that they could be tried here in the MDL, and then they got cold feet and didn't want to try their case in federal court, and so they uh, simply declined to go forward on that basis. So last week was uh, uh, so somewhat of a significant announcement from Merck uh, indicating that, uh, that the tally of lawsuits filed so far uh, had reached 23,800 cases representing 41,750 plaintiff groups, groups meaning it could be uh, both a victim and, and uh, uh, or alleged victim and, and uh, family members and whatever. Uh, and, and the significance, I guess, was that the September 30th date had marked uh, the the end of the statute of limitations period in at least some states, uh, and uh, yet uh, more cases can be filed in other states, and I'm sure will be filed. Uh, it, and Merck has maintained that it will continue to fight these cases, uh, or at least address these cases uh, on a case-by-case basis. How, how realistic is that, and is there a point at which Merck needs to come up with a, a more comprehensive way to address these cases? Well, I think that... Uh that for now, uh, Merck remains uh, committed to addressing these on a case-by-case basis. I think that uh, you know we're we're learning as we go along on uh, what kind of cases uh, we're most likely to uh, prevail in. Uh, we're also, uh, we hope, getting better at uh, at presenting our cases to the juries in a in a way that's uh, that's understandable for them, and they. The real key is that each one of these cases is intensely individual when it comes to the causation uh, questions, for example, uh, and they just don't lend themselves to any kind of uh, uh, mass resolution. So 
uh, Merck remains committed to going forward and defending uh, the cases uh, one by one. That creates obvious logistical problems and that uh, we have to sort through with the uh, different judges from the different jurisdictions as well as the plaintiff's lawyers. But that's what uh, uh, Merck's intending to do. It seems kind of odd that in 23,000 cases there wouldn't be at least some commonality. Well, the uh, the reason that personal injury cases, uh, particularly involving pharmaceutical products, do not get uh, certified as class actions, uh, by and large, is because whatever common issues there are are overwhelmed by the individual issues. And even on the common issues, the uh, uh, you know there there's a there are common issues obviously about. Uh, about Merck's conduct and, and level of knowledge, and yet even that uh, changes from case to case in terms of when somebody took Vioxx. If they took Vioxx early in the game, uh, then there's uh, one set of facts concerning uh, what Merck knew and what Merck was doing. If they took Vioxx later in the game, there's a different set of facts about what Merck knew and what it was doing. Uh, some people took Vioxx before there was a label change in 2002 uh, that incorporated uh, additional cardiovascular risk information. Some people took it afterwards. So the the and that is leaving aside all of the individual issues about uh, a person's risk factors and medical history. Well, Merck's battling slightly over 500 at this point. Do you think location has an effect on on uh, the outcome of the cases? Which case they're where the jurisdiction where they're tried? Oh, I think that there are jurisdictions that uh, are traditionally viewed as more plaintiffs friendly than others. I think that uh, Los Angeles, where uh, we recently, my partner Tarek Ismail, uh, tried a case against uh, uh, Tom Girardi uh, in uh, in a courthouse that's uh, considered by plaintiffs to be very friendly to them, and we won there. Uh, New Orleans is uh, a venue that, that traditionally plaintiffs have liked very much. Uh, obviously, there's been effects with Katrina that, that are hard for people to assess. Uh, there was the verdict in uh, South Texas that's now under review because of the financial relationship between one of the jurors and the plaintiff. And, of course, South Texas is a friendly place for plaintiffs as well. Uh, so there is some impact on that, but you know we've found that if we can uh, tell our uh, our side of the story effectively, that uh, regardless of where we try the case, we feel like we have a good chance of winning. Phil, you mentioned Tom Girardi. We have a clip here. Uh, Tom Girardi was a guest on an earlier program of ours discussing uh, the Vioxx litigation, and I wonder if we could just take a second to hear that clip and, sure. and uh, give you a chance to respond if you'd like to. Okay. Braggadocio will try every single case. Um, is not working for Merck. If you take all the cases uh, that have become uh, where the verdicts have uh, been announced, including the defense verdicts, and divide that by the number of trials, the and translate that over the whole field, the number is astronomical. So it seems, you know, the the policy has effects both ways. If, in fact, Merck is going to be unsuccessful in half of the cases that it tries, that's a massacre for Merck, 
Well, that's Tom's thoughts. Uh, how's your response to that, Phil? This was shortly after he lost his case out in Los Angeles. Um, I guess my response is uh, something I mentioned earlier, and that is that um, many cases get dropped by plaintiff's lawyers rather than go to trial. And those are victories for us uh, because these cases go away and we never even have to try them. Um, the, in terms of uh, the verdicts that we've gotten in the cases where we have gone to trial, uh, what uh, Tom's doing there is he's assuming that all or even most of those verdicts that went against us, first of all, you know, over half are going our way, uh, and then he's assuming that the ones that are go against us are going to stand up on review. And so far, there has not been a single dollar paid in judgment to any plaintiff's lawyer or plaintiff in any Vioxx case because the uh, relatively few verdicts that have gone against us have not gone through the judicial review process yet. Um, and we've got uh, uh, verdicts that, uh, like the, the one that uh, was rendered in, uh, in federal court uh, in, uh, in one of the, not the last case, but the one before that, uh, there the judge, on his own initiative, without even a motion being filed by us, threw out the damages uh, portion of the verdict, and we've got a motion to overturn the rest of the verdict as well. Uh, that's still in the briefing process and won't be decided for a while. Uh, but then uh, on all of the cases that where, where the juries have found against Merck, we have not yet had an opportunity to uh, to appeal those and to go through the appellate process. And we feel very strongly that in each one of those cases, we have solid grounds for appeal. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're winning our share at the trial level, and then at the appellate level, we think we're going to uh, win a lot more of them. Phil, so you, you successfully defended Bayer uh, in, in litigation involving the, the cholesterol lowering drug Baycol after Bayer withdrew the drug from the market in 2001. Uh, are, are there parallels, are there similarities between the Baycol litigation and the Vioxx litigation? There are parallels. Uh, one thing uh, is that the lawyer on the other side of the Baycol case for me was a, a lawyer named Michael Watts, who's an excellent plaintiff's lawyer from Texas. He was in the last uh, Vioxx case that uh, we just won uh, a month or so ago here in New Orleans, uh, but more important parallels are that the plaintiff's lawyers who were saying, who are now saying that Merck has to come forward and, and settle 40,000 uh, cases or else we're going to, uh, uh, you know, collect all these huge judgments against them, uh, they were saying exactly the same thing concerning Bayer and Baycol. And then we went to trial. Uh, we won uh, in the uh, first case that was down in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, another plaintiff-friendly jurisdiction. And then we had several other cases uh, in uh, places like Mississippi and Philadelphia. And we won every case that, uh, that we tried uh, with Baycol. Uh, and the problem ended up uh, getting resolved for much, much less money than uh, the plaintiff's lawyers had been touting uh, to the press and on broadcasts such as this before the uh, litigation commenced. Has Merck settled any cases to date? No. If you rack up a similar string of victories uh, in this 
Vioxx litigation, do you anticipate Merck changing its strategy down the line? You know, I don't know what's going to happen down the line. I, uh, uh, my role in the Vioxx litigation really has been to come into federal court and be the lead trial counsel in the federal cases. And uh, I've got one that's starting on Monday, and then I've got another one that starts the Monday after Thanksgiving, and that'll be something like five or six trials in the last uh, 12 months. So I've been focused uh, 100% really on representing Merck in federal court down here in New Orleans and haven't been uh, involved in any kind of you know, long-term strategic discussions about what happens once we uh, get through these wave of trials. How has Merck responded to the New England Journal of Medicine articles that have come out uh, criticizing its medical research in, uh, on Vioxx? You know, I'm glad you asked me that because I, I, uh, I'm sorry that I was unable to, to participate in the, in the last broadcast that you guys had with, uh, with Mr. Girardi and Mr. Uh, Sizemore. I was in court uh, when that was taped, uh, but I did listen to it, and they uh, got it wrong in terms of the significance of those publications. Um, first of all, there was a publication in the New England Journal of Medicine concerning the uh, the Vigor trial, which was uh, uh, back in uh, in the 2000 2001 uh, time frame, and uh, they, the New England Journal of Medicine uh, last December uh, wrote uh, an expression of concern, and then they followed that up with another one uh, concerning uh, the data that had been presented in that article. Uh, and uh, that has proven to be a complete uh, tempest in a teapot. The plaintiff's lawyers at the time said that that was going to change the landscape completely. Uh, so far, it's not been a, a big issue to any jury that's heard about it. Uh, I've I've had uh, uh, three trials since then, uh, and in two of them, the plaintiff's lawyers uh, uh, tried to make a big deal about that, and we won the case on the merits. And the other one, the one case that we lost, uh, by coincidence, the uh, plaintiff's lawyers never even mentioned that fact. So that's been a non-issue. Then there was a, a second article concerning a different clinical trial uh, called the Approve Trial, uh, where there was a, uh, a correction uh, published uh, later, but it doesn't change the underlying data, uh, and it doesn't change the underlying facts. And the facts remain that uh, the the number of heart attacks was the same on Vioxx as it was on placebo or sugar pill uh, all the way out to 18 months. And that the plaintiff's lawyers tried to make a big deal of in, in my most recent case, and as I said, the jury rejected that. If there happens to be anybody in the world who listened to the last broadcast as well as this one, uh, the uh, Judge Higby's decision in New Jersey to grant a new trial in one of the cases was not based on the 18 months issue. That was not it at all. The plaintiff's lawyers who told you that had that wrong as well. Just for context, let's bring in that clip from uh, Paul Sizemore. It seems to me, in, in my humble opinion, that Merck cares less about whether or not they win the case actually on the merits of whether Vioxx is a bad drug or Vioxx actually caused this heart attack. They want to win just so they can have the publicity of a win. It doesn't matter if the person actually used Vioxx or not, or if there's some type of character issue that they think they can focus upon to, to uh, taint the jury. 
they want a win due to the publicity. And this is going to be a tough case in the MDL. And if the plaintiffs can actually prevail in a defense pick case, uh, it would be uh, a fantastic win for the plaintiffs bar. Uh, I never understand when uh, when the plaintiffs say that this is a defense pick. Uh, we didn't file any of these cases. Every one of these cases was filed by plaintiffs' lawyers because they thought that they had a decent case that uh, warranted us paying the money. And then when we defend ourselves in those cases, they say, well, that was a defense pick. Now, last time you had one of these broadcasts, Mr. Girardi said that the case that he lost was a defense pick. That was flat false. That was a pick that that was a case that Mr. Girardi selected. He not only filed the case when the judge asked him what case he wanted to go to trial on. That's the one he picked. Uh, in terms of how we defend ourselves, we've never attacked the character of any one of these uh, plaintiffs who come in. Mr. Sizemore says, "Well, gee whiz, uh, that if if the uh, plaintiff never took Vioxx, Merck defends on that basis." Well, of course we do. I think it's outrageous that plaintiff's lawyers are bringing cases where the plaintiffs didn't even take our medicine or where the plaintiffs took the medicine for three weeks and then lie and say that they took it for eight months. And when that happens, we point it out. Uh, and that's what happened in, uh, uh, in Mr. Girardi's case, where, where he claimed all throughout the trial that, that his plaintiff had taken the medicine every day for months, and then my partner proved that that was false. Uh, and, uh, and so when, when plaintiff's lawyers sign up plaintiffs who have bad cases because they never even took our medicine, of course we're going to point that out. Uh, and we defend ourselves in every one of these cases on the ground that, that we believe that Merck acted appropriately throughout and, and that uh, the medicine did not cause the heart attack. Well, but, you against... know, if they, bring, if they decide to sign up plaintiffs who, who answer their, their uh, cable television ads, if you've ever taken Vioxx, uh, call a 1-800 number and we'll sign you up as a plaintiff, and they sign up tens of thousands of people that way. A lot of them uh, never took Vioxx or, or took it for a very short period of time, and when those cases come to trial, we're going to defend ourselves. It's an interesting win to beat Mr. Girardi in Los Angeles because this is where I'm from, and we commonly refer, refer to Central Civil West, where you tried that case, as the bank. Well, most of the plaintiff's lawyers uh, think that they have pretty much of a guaranteed victory when they go to the to Central Civil West, so it's a significant win. Yeah, I'd heard that as well. Um, I've never tried a case there. As I said, my younger partner... Tarek Ismail uh, defended Merck in that case. Tarek and I are trying the next one up, and we tried the the first federal case where Mr. Sizemore uh, and Mr. Birchfield were the plaintiff's lawyers also. Well, Phil, it's time to take a short break. We will return and get final thoughts from Mr. Beck in just a moment. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. 
If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We want to welcome back Attorney Philip Beck from Bartlett Beck, Herman Palancher, and Scott in Chicago. Uh, and, and we should just make clear uh, to our listeners that, uh, as Phil Beck said, he's in New Orleans preparing for a trial starting Monday, but he's been asked by the judge in that case not to discuss uh, that case, and, and so we're, we're respecting that request and not, not talking about that. But I, I wanted to ask you, there was a, a profile of you in the National Law Journal in 2003 in, in which you described yourself as a counter-puncher. You said... Uh, you go in there and you wait for the other guy to take a big left hook, and then you duck and look for the opening. Uh, is that uh, is that how you're approaching the Viox cases? Well, I think uh, what I probably was talking about then is that um, oftentimes uh, my experience has been that plaintiffs' lawyers will overreach and will misrepresent what has been said in depositions or documents and uh, kind of wildly exaggerate or overstate it. And an effective way to uh, to defend a company in a situation like that is to wait until the plaintiff's lawyers have done that and then come back with uh, hard evidence that shows that they're wrong. That's what I meant by counterpunching. And, yeah, we've been doing that in these cases uh, just like uh, – just like we did in the in the uh, Baycall case, that was probably the subject of that article. One of the as a follow up to that question, there's been some uh, comment by dis- on the t- Judge Higby's decision to make Merck release records on the tally of Merck's legal fees. Some people have criticized Merck as being over lawyered. What's your sense of that? The uh, you know, I'm not involved in the New Jersey litigation, so I'm not entirely up to speed on, on what led to uh, uh, her order. Um, I, th- I think what it was was that the uh, when they tried a couple cases uh, several months ago, uh, and they got uh, in one of the cases there was a, a plaintiff's verdict, uh, and in another case it was basically a defense verdict 
that was the case that Mark Lanier had, uh, except that under a consumer uh, uh, statute in New Jersey, the jury said that uh, Lanier's uh, client was entitled to, you know, a refund of $21 or whatever the uh, person had spent on uh, on Vioxx. And there's a provision, I guess, in the New Jersey statute that allows for attorney's fees. And so uh, for this verdict in their favor of, I don't know what the number was, but I think it was under $100, then, of course, uh, the plaintiff's lawyers asked for $5.5 million in legal fees. Um, and uh, Merck obviously opposed that and said that uh, just a small part of the case involved this request for a refund and they shouldn't be getting $5 million in legal fees. And then the plaintiff's lawyer said, well, why don't you tell us what, what uh, you've been paying in legal fees so that we can make a, the judge can make a decision about what's reasonable. And so uh, we thought, we being Merck, that that, uh, that, that request was, uh, was an unreasonable one, but the judge granted it. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, Merck's going forward in New Jersey. And, uh, and I don't know, I, I think that Merck is, is providing the information rather than taking appeal from that, but I'm not positive on that. Well, Merck's taken a couple of charges uh, to its financials as the legal fees and the strategy is adopted of defending every case, taking a hit on it financially? Um, I don't think so. I think that the uh, uh, the charges that they've taken have been uh, significant ones, but uh, by themselves, uh, I don't think most people would, would consider those to be uh, extraordinary. Uh, you know, it's, it costs a lot of money to defend yourself against uh, 40,000 lawsuits. And it would cost even more money if Merck uh, took the suggestion of the plaintiff's lawyers of why don't you just uh, uh, turn over the keys of the Treasury to us and we'll split it up among ourselves. So, uh, yeah, it does cost money to defend yourself, but I view it uh, really more in the nature of an investment in the company's future than I do uh, anything by by way of a financial hit. Well, we're we're nearing the end of our time to talk to you, but I, I wondered if you wanted to just uh, uh, take a moment to assess uh, where this might all end up. If you could look in the look in the litigation crystal ball a little bit and tell us where you see this all headed. Well, I I hope uh, that what's going to happen is that we from the Merck defense side will continue to improve in terms of our ability to to uh, explain our side of the story to juries. We'll continue to get uh, good results from juries that uh, plaintiff's lawyers will realize that this is not a gravy train where they can just uh, file suits uh, without even screening to see whether people took the medicine. Uh, or without even screening to see uh, what other risk factors people had and expect that they're going to get big settlements. So I hope that uh, as we continue to uh, get good results, uh, both from juries and then uh, down the road from, uh, from appeals courts, uh, that the plaintiff's bar will uh, will reassess uh, their strategy and, and will uh, uh, scale back and, and get realistic here. And your firm, uh, Bartlett Beck, can be found online at bartlett-beck.com, B-A-R-T-L-I-T-Beck.com. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And is, is there, 
is there any other information that you'd like to point our readers to in terms of the Vioxx litigation or, or your firm or yourself? No, I think that uh, there's uh, plenty of information out there on the on Vioxx litigation, and anybody who would like to learn about our firm could go to that uh, website that you, that you just uh, gave out. Well, Phil, thank you very much for participating today. We really appreciate your time, and best of luck in the upcoming case. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And, Bob, I guess for us, that will wrap it up for Coast to Coast this week, and we will talk again next week. That's right. Good talking to you, Craig. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.